for our Vegas Nation podcast. We're here for all Raider Nation to talk silver and black. As always, we have Raiders beat writer Michael Gelkin calling in from Alameda, California, and NFL writer Hilberto Monsano. I'm Brian Salmon. Guys, we're ready to talk some silver and black. The team that is sitting at 0-2, just like some guy who predicted them to win their first two games is sitting at 0-2. But that's neither here nor there. Let's go ahead and get to it. You guys ready? Let's do it. Ready. All right, let's make it happen. Well, Michael, right off the top, since you're the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who's at all of the practices and the press conferences and everything else, what is the biggest news that everyone needs to know as far as Raider Nation is concerned with the Raiders right now? You know, this wasn't a huge news week for the Raiders, certainly relative to previous weeks. There wasn't some major signing like any of the two defensive linemen the Raiders brought in last week or wide receiver Martavis Bryant. You know, it was a bit quieter on the transaction wire, but I think if this can be construed as news, we're getting greater clarity in terms of how Derek Carr and this offense are coming together in 2018. And obviously, it's still only two games in. We have 14 to go. We're just halfway into the first quarter of the season. But when you look at what the Raiders were able to do offensively, I think a number of things stand out. It's coaching. You look at the creativity conceptually uh, to what John Gruden and this offense are doing. There's a real sophistication that Gruden has implemented into this offense that I don't know if we've seen. Not many offenses are doing what the Raiders are doing offensively. And then beyond that, uh, we're continuing to see something from Derek Carr, which is he is so quick with the ball. And we could talk about it later in greater detail, but he's just done a really good job of just protecting himself with some of the things he's doing before and after the snap. So too much. And I think, yeah, yeah, and I guess, I guess a, the key thing there is, even though it's 0-2 in the record book, you know, and, and the Raiders are you know looking up in the standings at the rest of the division, uh, you have to take a real close look at what is developing beyond the transaction wire, but what's really happening. And I think it, it doesn't show up in the standings, it doesn't show up on signings, uh, but when you look at just the film, uh, the Raiders clearly are moving in the right direction offensively. And really quick to Michael's point, the Oakland Raiders right now, net total yards, the leaders as far as teams in the NFL, they're sitting at 10th right now. So their offense, they're, they're, a, a, they're uh, accruing 768 yards of offense per game. And um, with that being said, I like keeping the glass half full. I've been talking about this. The Raiders are right now 2-0 and in the season in the first half. So that's kind of <laughs> how I like to put that. What do you, what do you think, Gil? <laughs> you know, they're also – I think they're one of the top teams when it comes to, you know, you know getting yards per, per, per snap. I think they were maybe top six, six I saw. I'm, I'm forgetting the numbers. But, you know, you know Michael Spahn with Derek Carr, he, I think he's throwing for 80%. He's completing most of his passes. Last week it was 90%. So he, he's, he's connecting with his wide receivers. And maybe it has something to do with, you know, releasing the ball much quicker because – you, know, you were facing a pass rush from the Broncos of Von Miller. Before that, you were facing Aaron Donald and the Rams. So getting the ball much out, out quicker was very important, and I think Derek Carr did that. And he made a great throw last week to uh, Seth Roberts for his, for his only touchdown. I think it was, it was between two defenders, a laser right up, right up the middle. So for me, I think Derek Carr is having a, a good start. I know he had the three interceptions in the first week, but he bounced back for a good performance against, against the Broncos. Okay, that, that's good to see that he, he's, he actually hasn't done half bad. You know, I, I, I'd like to give him some credit for uh, completing a high percentage of passes. I mean, Michael, you sat there and watched the game in person. 
for a guy to complete that many passes and to lose a game, that's something that's almost unheard of, isn't it? It is. I have to go back and look at it. I did, I did some stat work the day after the game, but I believe it was something along the lines of Derek Carr was um, – let me think about this again. I think quarterbacks who completed 88.5% or more of their passes with a minimum of 15 attempts, 88.5 or above, are were 26-0 in NFL history before wow. Derek Carr. <laughs> he was at 90.6. And so – it's very difficult to play at the level at which Derek Carr was playing and lose the game, especially when you consider he didn't have any interceptions among his three incompletions, and one of those was a drop pass on fourth and one that was real critical in the fourth quarter. Yes. But I think you, if you're going to talk about Derek Carr and, and you know the completions, you have to also talk about the protection for holding up uh, at, at certain times, uh, even though the ball is getting out of Derek Carr's hands quickly. Uh, still, uh, they were they're holding up uh, their way against a really good Broncos pass rush. And then the receiver for, uh, you know, the you know, the fact that we, we can single out a, a given drop because there really weren't many. It's and true. It's Seth Roberts, you know, coming off that fastball 21-yard touchdown. Or Amari Cooper, he had 10 targets in his direction. Yeah. He caught all 10 yeah. of them, uh, which is, is rare you see somebody go 10 <laughs> yeah. for 10 on, on target. And so I think it, all in all, it was a great performance, a clean, fairly clean performance by many on offense. Now, that being said, there are still moments when you look at this game and you think to yourself, this can get even better. And I would I would highlight, for example, one of Derek Hart's completions. It was on the opening drive of the game. The Raiders have done a really good job of getting points to start of the game. You know, they're two for two in terms of scoring on the opening possession. Well, on Sunday, they had to settle for a field goal because on third down in the red zone, Derek Carr dumped off the short pass to Marshawn Lynch for a four-yard loss, and then came Mike Nugent for the field goal to make it 3-0. It very easily could have been 7-0 if there wasn't a miscommunication there between Derek Carr and Marshawn Lynch where you see them before the snap, if you go back and watch that play again, Marshawn seems to be kind of processing what his assignment is in blitz protection. And because of them not being totally on the same page still in their second game in John Gruden's offense, uh, you had uh, Derek Carr kind of roll out to his right. And credit Marshawn Lynch, he ended up picking up the guy he was supposed to pick up. But that play was supposed to go, I'm told, to Derek Carrier. The team tied in on the left side of the line. Carr had to roll right. Uh, but ideally, if everyone is sure about their assignment and can just be confident and execute in a hostile environment as the Raiders uh, certainly hope to be able to do as the season progresses, that is probably a touchdown instead of a field goal, which means a lot in the game decided by one point. Yeah, I think, uh, Michael, you're leading me to my next point. We're saying a lot of good things about the offense, but they're getting outscored 43-7 in the second half. And, and, and I don't, I don't want to you know put the blame on Derek Carr. I think it's just, you know, it's a complex offense. There's like a lot of miscues. And like you said, there was penalties. Uh, that fourth and one was crucial. That momentum changing, momentum changing play for Case Keenum and the Broncos to get a rally. If you get that fourth and one, maybe you get a touchdown or you get an easier field goal. Why not just settle for the field goal? I think it could have been like a 45 yarder for Mike Nugent, Hardy made, or a 46 yarder. So, or, or the, the the blocked extra point uh, point right there. So there are a lot of miscues, and that's going to happen with with a new coaching staff and so many new faces. So it's going right, it's heading in the right direction, but it's going to be. Uh, when it comes to the crucial 
points in the game, you got to do everything right. I, I think when uh, Case Keenum scored, and I think it was 19-17, the Raiders were moving the ball. And then they had, I think, back-to-back flags, and the ball goes back to the Broncos. So stuff like that going to take a while to uh, work on, but so far they're in the right direction. And to uh, Gilbert's point, John Gruden, as you've heard in the press conferences, Michael has been very honest with his team and, and how they need to improve and what things they need to work on. Here is John Gruden talking to the media about what his team needs to do moving forward. We just got to keep getting better in all areas. You know, we got to keep getting better in all areas, and hopefully, you know, we get some turnovers, we get some better field position, and some more opportunities. I think that's uh, that's important, and um, got to finish some drives. Play calling would help. So one thing that Michael uh, that he said, play calling will help. So you know, obviously, he tried to take a little bit of the blame as well, but. Penalties, to Gilbert's point, has been something that you've already seen this. I mean, it's hampered the Raiders in a big way. What is something that he's, he's talked about maybe or that you've seen in practice that he's tried to work on uh, with the team in order to, I guess, be more effective on offense? Is that, uh, you know, I mean, that's something he, he preached all during camp and everything else. But have you seen or, or heard anything that he's alluded to that they've been working on to try to clean up their offensive side of the ball? Uh, well, we only get so much exposure to practice. We only can really see warm-ups. Warm yeah. We basically guys stretch and do some position drills. There really isn't much that we're able to see. So, unfortunately, we don't get a lot of the actual experiencing in terms of seeing those corrections be made on the practice field. But I think uh, just kind of a little bit along the lines of what we were saying before, but I think we are seeing the Raiders get a little bit cleaner offensively in terms of their execution. I would single out the penalties that we saw. I believe yeah. there were four or five penalties in the first quarter alone offensively for the Raiders in week one. You look at this second game, and I think in the first half, they maybe had one penalty at all. And their most critical penalty was on Bruce Irvin in the red zone where the defensive end that was really bad. lost his cool, Very bad. said something he shouldn't have said. And while the Raiders were set to get off the field on third down, yes. instead – uh, uh, or instead of having forced that third down and lined up for your, your field goal block team, uh, the Denver Broncos stay on the field, and a few plays later they're celebrating a touchdown, which, again, is a, a four-point swing Huge. in a game decided by one. And so um, I think penalties certainly were an issue in week one, but already we're seeing them move in the right direction. I just want to bring up the, the point on, on the D-line. How tired were they up there and mile high? Fr- Frosty Rucker like, wanted to take a nap in the middle of the field. <laughs> uh, Arden Key was dying out there. Bruce Irwin, e- even a veteran like Bruce Irwin was uh, getting gassed out. So yeah. that was kind of uh, interesting oh, to see play. how tired they were because it was hot and, and the altitude really affected the Raiders' D-line. Yeah, it definitely affected, it affected the D-line. And that play, yeah, Michael brings that up. I almost forgot about that. But, yeah, that was a huge, huge play. It definitely was a four-point swing in which the the Raiders had to deal with at that point. Guys, uh, I want to take a quick break and, and, and talk to a, a bit of our sponsors right now and let everyone know that you're listening to our Vegas Nation podcast brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. The Toyota RAV4, it's up for anything. Toyota, let's go places. Let's go be spontaneous. Let's go out of our comfort zone. Let's go make the most of it in the Toyota Corolla. Toyota, let's go places. Michael had had written a beautiful story talking about Derek Carr and the fact that uh, what he's doing at the line as far as not 
you know, getting him out of sacks and just how complex the offense is and what he's been doing to get rid of the ball quick, fast, in a hurry. Is that something that John Gruden has discussed with the media, something that Bill Belichick does not do? Has he kind of praised Derek Carr and the fact that he has done this with you guys kind of making it known how well uh, Carr has done at the, the line of scrimmage and, and not allowing sacks by, you know, doing different protection schemes and whatnot? He has, and it's something that he talked about in regard to it being something that great quarterbacks do, where you, at times, you serve as your best line of protection. And what he means by that is, if you're an NFL quarterback and you're behind center, you can't merely rely on your offensive linemen or your tight ends or running backs who might be using protection to protect you. It takes more than that. You need to be able to understand where the pressure is coming from, where, where the, what your problems are before the snap. When you look at a defense's alignment, you usually can tell at least who's showing blitz. Obviously, defenses can disguise it. Or sometimes you think a seven-man or six-man rush is coming, and instead it's just three. Uh, but nonetheless, you need to be aware of those things. You need to know kind of how to sift through that in different situations. And then ultimately, uh, after making certain adjustments with your offensive line pre-snap, you need to get rid of the football quick. You need to be able to process information in real time while 250-pound edge rushers are screaming off the edge to come for you and to come namely for the football. So you have to be mindful of all that, and you have to just get rid of the ball quick to help out your offensive linemen and in turn help out yourself. And all across that, Derek Carr is aces. I mean, some people say he gets rid of the ball, gets rid of the ball too quickly. Um, but he definitely helps out himself to stay upright. He's been sacked twice thus far this season, which is tied for the NFL low in terms of quarterback sacks. So, uh, so far, so good in that regard. Derek Carr's protection has, has held up, and he's been a big part of the reason why he's, he's done so, especially considering the front that the Raiders have faced so far. Aaron Donald and company week one, and you look at week two, Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb and company, uh, only one sack of So, Gilbert, it, it looks as if Michael Gelkin has given Derek Carr the credit for how well Colton Miller is. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm only kidding, Michael. But uh, Gilbert and I had talked about this, and he, you know, coming into the season, it talked about how Colton Miller is like, eh, I don't know about this guy and how well he's going to do and blah, blah, blah. But I'll let Gilbert go ahead and, and heat his crow on, on the podcast now and tell you. Okay, so I'm going to say I'm wrong after t- two games already? <laughs> no, a, a lot of credit goes to Colton Miller. You know, I, I was I was very skeptical about the pick when they were, he got picked 15 overall. You know, you know why go for an offensive lineman when you had a, a disastrous season in the secondary and Derwin James, the safety out of Florida State, was here for the take-in, who's doing very well, by yeah, the way, yeah, with, with the Chargers. Yeah. But nobody's talking about that anymore because Colton Miller is doing great. Uh, no sacks allowed. Um, one one pressure a week ago against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. He's facing you know the best uh, D lines. I know they're getting the ball quick because they want they want Carter you know you know get up the field real quick. But still, he's protecting. He's doing well. And for for a rookie left tackle starting, that's not easy to do. So so far for him, he's he's off to a great start. I, I like that. Isn't it good? It is a nice Michael that Gilbert will go ahead and. and you know, fall on the sword and let people know that, hey, I may have been wrong about something. He, he's, he's man enough to do something like that. Very impressive. <laughs> I, I can't be 90% like uh, Derek Carr was a week ago, so I'm, I'm trying. But 80%, I could do that. All right, I like that. Now, guys, I've talked about it before. Michael alluded to the fact that the Raiders are 0-2, but as I've said, keeping the glass maybe three-fourths full, they're 2-0 and in the first half, as if that doesn't mean anything. But so how do the Raiders kind of get Jordy Nelson off? Because, uh, you know, Michael – you know, had, had talked about 
Derek Carr completing passes and just how well he's done. Amari Cooper catching 10 balls on 10 targets. And we both know that, we all know that Jordy Nelson, he hasn't really been the, the guy that they have wanted him to be. Uh, and of course, John Gruden has recognized that fact as well. And he spoke about how they can try to get Mr. Jordan, Jordy Nelson off. Well, we're using a lot of receivers. You know, we, um, we expect to see more and more from Jordy as the weeks unfold. But Cooper had a big week last week. Cook had a big week in week one. Hopefully Jordy has one this week. Hopefully he will have one this week. But, uh, Gilbert, you had a, an interesting thought of, of really how Amari Cooper got off and maybe they can use the same line of thought in order to help get Jordy Nelson open. Yeah, when you add a third guy like Martavis Bryant, you know, I know he didn't have you know great stats there, but his presence there really helped Amari Cooper, especially if you move him to the slot and then you have Martavis Bryant go outside, you get a safety away from Amari Cooper. I don't know, maybe you want to move around Jordy Nelson and get him involved too, but eventually you want to get all three of these guys clicking. It seems like, you know, last week it was Jared Cook, or I mean two weeks ago, and then last week it was Mark Cooper. But, you know, Jordy Nelson, I, I know people want to say, you know, he's got to do better, but he's, he's an older guy. It's been, and he's, uh, but he, he seems like he's 30, though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, all, all the, the, the offseason trope we heard from, uh, from Raiders camp, the, yeah. the, the Jordan Nelson was uh, 31 or whatever. He's 31 right now, I forget. But he's like 21 again. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a new system. It's going to take a while for him to make. You know, I'm not saying he's, he's done already, but, you know, Jordan Nelson is an older guy. It's going to take some time. And especially you got you to gotta get Amari Cooper going. You, you want to, you know, maybe get Martellus Bryant going. You got Jared Cook. You still got Jalen Rashard off the backfield. So there's a lot of mouths to feed. So I think eventually Jordan Nelson will figure it out. But to expect him to do what he did in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, I, I, I think we're kind of pushing there a little bit. What are your thoughts on that, Michael? I think the fantasy owners are more disappointed <laughs> in what Jordan Nelson's been able to do this season than the Raiders are. Okay. I think one of those things where the Raiders have an offense that will involve different people in different weeks. Uh, something that you look at what the New England Patriots do, what some other teams in the league do, they have a bevy of weapons, and in a given week, yeah. the offense is willing to really tweak its personnel and game plan to, in estimation, take advantage of its opposing defense. And we've seen over the course of of this season however early it is we've seen you know in week one the Raiders only had three wide receivers see the field at all and then Jalen Richard was a huge part of the game plan with about we had double digit targets and you look at this past game Jalen Richard didn't see any targets as a receiver and the Raiders were involving Martavis Bryant and Brandon LaFell and Seth, you know, Seth Roberts and Cooper and Nelson as one of those five receivers. And so um, they're going to, over the course of this season, uh, do what they think is best in a given game to win, whatever that looks like. And we've seen it look like a lot of Jared Cook in week one, and we've seen it look like a lot of Amari Cooper. And uh, certainly both of those players will be involved over the course of the remainder of the season. But as it relates to Jordy Nelson, although he hasn't had that big productive day, he hasn't really won your PPR league, and he hasn't really done anything (laughs) uh, statistically that will wow you, uh, I think uh, when you look at on the field, um, he's still uh, being effective for what the Raiders are asking to do at this stage. And there will come a time this season, perhaps as early as Sunday against the Dolphins, where the Raiders will call his number more than they have thus far. You know, that, that's, that's very well said. One thing that you said, which absolutely is true, how New England 
they would pick a person each week. I remember once it was LeGarrette Blunt, then it's James White, or then it's Gronk, or it's Lewis that they had at running back, or Amendola. They always – one guy could have a million yards one game and the next game like have no targets. And it's kind of clear, like you said, that that's what John Gruden may be doing. And I'll also say this, uh, Jordy Nelson isn't killing it in the PPR league, but I know that uh, Jared Cook was killing in the PPR league. I know one guy who was smart enough to draft that guy, but – that's neither here nor there. Again, we'll go ahead and move right along. I'm going to guess that was you. Well, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't going to humble brag myself and say <laughs> that, but yes, I, I do have Jerry Cook, and he went off in that first week, as we all know. So. Congratulations, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take my small wins where I can get them, man. I got to take my tiny wins where I can get them. Um, all right, guys. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and look ahead to the Raiders' upcoming schedule. Obviously, uh, they have Miami in Miami. Miami is 2-0 and in the season. I'm wondering, is there another team in the NFL right now that's 2-0 that is more unassuming at 2-0 that people don't necessarily know are 2-0 other than Miami Dolphins? Like, Can you think of a team off the top of your head, either of you guys, like, you know what, man, they're 2-0 as well? Because I don't think that – The Buccaneers are a surprise, but you know all about oh, Fitzpat- uh, Fitzpatrick and what he's done, so it's not really a surprise. Yeah. Uh, maybe the Bengals are two and zero. I think maybe that's. But uh, been on national when it comes TV, to yeah, yeah, the Dolphins they're really under the radar. Very much under the radar. <laughs> now, <laughs> Larry Mary here does, does not does not <laughs> like that. He wants a lot of Dolphins talk for this podcast, and we're barely getting into it. Come on, Brian. Yeah, I know, I know. Michael doesn't know this, but yeah, Larry, the technical director here at our inside of our RJ Studios, is a, a huge Miami Dolphins fan. He can do that, and so anytime we talk about the Dolphins winning, he. He gets all happy and giddy like a little kid and starts giggling over here. So, yeah, thank you, Larry. So um, moving forward with that, Gilbert, what do you think about the the Raiders' schedule going to Miami? How likely is it they they can possibly get a win? And just kind of looking forward in games after that, since the team, they don't look past one game. We don't play for the team. We can look past one game. What do you think about the upcoming schedule? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of – Be careful. Of, well, be careful. Go ahead. I got to interject and warn you, Gilbert. Brian's trying to get your sense about how this game is going. Michael, man. Come on, Michael. Oh, th- thank you. Thank you for looking out for me, See? Michael. He is 0-2. <laughs> Uh, should I say too? I don't want to say too much now. Uh, some people. It's just for the good of the podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Michael. <laughs> you know, but for the Dolphins, I, you know, maybe because I haven't watched them too much, I, I'm I'm not really sold them sold on them yet. But it is a tough, you know, uh, schedule for for the for the Raiders to go for, playing in Denver with the altitude and it was hot. Then you have to go all the way across country to go to Miami for a 10 a.m. game. Or I guess for your body, it feels like it's 10 a.m. over yeah. there, or whatever. It's one o'clock. So that's kind of a brutal grind. But you know, but I, I see a but in here. <laughs> it just you know the Dolphins that you know have played the the Titans and the Jets doesn't really course, strike a lot of fear exactly. a lot of people. So I, I still consider this a winnable game. I know it's a grind to go to Miami, and I know Tannehill for some reason likes to win with Adam Gates. He's a nine and one in his last ten starts. With wow. when he's there, he, he's not. We don't want facts and stats <laughs> to back up an argument, Gilbert. But it's easy to look on paper and look at the Dolphins and just you know chalk up a W for for the Raiders, you know. But it's going to be a challenge this week. But then if you somehow get a win in Miami, you go home. I know it's not the same Browns, but you get the Browns at home okay. who are playing currently on Thursday Night Football. I think that's considered a winnable game. Okay, they're 2-2 two and two then. You can say that. <laughs> and then if you, you start feeling good, you're 2-2, two and two, uh-huh. and then you go for your rival, your next uh, AFC West game, you play Chargers in LA. Uh, uh-huh. That's going to be a little tough. Okay, 2-3. and three. But then it, so then it starts you know, getting a little – I know I'm looking too far ahead, but, yeah, then, but you get, uh, then you get the Colts and the Seahawks. Some guy asked and, you to do that. <laughs> maybe you're 4-1 after that, and you know, you're know having a good schedule. So I know that 0-2 looks like it's a, you know, a daunting task, but 
when you have the Colts and the Seahawks and the Dolphins and the Browns on the horizon, you could turn the season around. Ah, look at Gilbert. He's looking into his crystal ball. He's looking way far ahead. <laughs> Michael, it, I'm usually not that positive, but I'm just saying the schedule's kind of soft. I don't recognize the guy sitting in front of me, Michael, because he's never that positive. <laughs> and you don't have the luxury necessarily to look as far ahead as he does because you're engulfed in everything that's happening right now. But I guess what is the sense maybe in the Bay Area? I mean, is this something that you, you might have heard from some of the, the different media outlets that are out there? Um, is that maybe like some of the, the water cooler talk when you're drinking water in the, you know, the media room in, in Alameda about the, the schedule and how it lies ahead for the Raiders? Or people thinking like, goodness, they had to go to Denver. Now they got to go all the way to Miami in back-to-back games. Their schedule stinks. Yeah, I don't think anybody has, and I'm sure people appreciate Gilbert's optimism. But I, I don't think anybody. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anybody has, uh, as far as I've heard, I've looked too far ahead in terms of, uh, you know, thinking that when you see the Raiders' schedule, well, here's an opponent they should take down, and here's an opponent they should have. I mean, you look at the Cleveland Browns here. Uh, I know as we're as we're chatting now, when we're filming this, they're on the field with the New York Jets, but. They are a good team, certainly up front, really and and Tyrod Taylor doesn't, you know, he generally protects the football, and he can make teams pay with his legs, certainly in man coverage. So that, you know, that's not a gimme that maybe it would have been in 2017. So I don't know. I think that being the game um, following at the Chargers and in the game in London, um, no, I, I don't, I don't know if anyone is, is thinking that the Raiders have proven that they deserve the benefit of the doubt in terms of they can go into a matchup and say, oh, we, we feel pretty good about this one. What a negative um, podcast is turning into, guys. <laughs> yeah. We've been pretty positive. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just... Here comes you the look poo-poo. At this, this, uh, you look at the Raiders team that has yet to finish, and it, it's, yeah. it's difficult to, to say that widely, I think, publicly, media-wise. And granted, I'm not really listening to talk radio here, so I'm not fully plugged in into what they're saying, although I tell I gotcha. you, Bay Area talk radio is usually more about the Niners than it is about the Raiders That's anyway. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. So, it, it, I don't know what it's worth. I think maybe some of that talk can build if the Raiders, Raiders can prove starting Sunday that they can close out an opponent and, and win on the road. All right. Now, Michael, this is something, it's off topic, but this is something that you tweeted about and you've talked about as well as far as um, – and you also know about being out there that the city of Oakland is, is thinking about suing the Raiders and there's a possibility that the Raiders may leave early and come to Las Vegas. And the fact that the stadium is still on track to be done by 2020. Uh, how, how real is that, that lawsuit? And, and, and is that something that I would assume that the, the team isn't talking about now? But I mean, just as far as maybe the brass in, in Alameda worrying about or uh, discussing the fact that that lawsuit may come in and the fact that they may end up coming to Las Vegas early? When it comes to the 2019 whereabouts of the Raiders, and it's obviously a fascinating subject, certainly something that everyone in the organization is invested in in terms of where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. You don't hear much from Team Brass officially. They don't speak to reporters uh, length about this subject. They're very quiet about it because they really want to be mindful of. Namely, uh, first, I guess the one thing they want people to know is that they want to be in Oakland in 2019. They're making uh, no, you know, they don't want to be misperceived on that point. Gotcha. Uh, but are they uh, waiting to see how the situation plays out? Uh, absolutely. 
Uh, do they have in development contingency plans? If it proves that they cannot be playing in Oakland in 2019, uh, yes, they do. But beyond that, uh, I haven't really heard anything from the Raiders about it because they really don't want to talk about it. They just want to make sure that people know that they want to stay in Oakland and that if things fall apart, they have in development a place or at least places where they could possibly be in 2019 instead. So it's fascinating. I'm curious to, to see how it goes. I can tell you that for people in the Raiders organization, uh, you know, some of them or many of them uh, don't want to move at all, and certainly they don't want to move twice. If they have their way, they will be in Oakland until they have to be in Las Vegas. Gotcha. And that's kind of where the people stand. Okay. But, again, we'll, we'll wait to find out whether or not that's so we're going to tailgate at Samboy Stadium next year. Is that, is that what Michael's saying? <laughs> that's exactly what he said. I, I think he reported that, that as a fact. <laughs> nah, just kidding. You know, I think that's the one thing that I've heard is that uh, Raiders won't be in Las Vegas in 2019, no matter what happens here. Okay, gotcha. Now, this is something that Gilbert and I have talked about, and I'm sure you talked about it at length, and it's, it's a topic of discussion uh, all the time out there in Alameda and Oakland and everything else, just the pass rush that the Raiders have had and the fact that the team that they're facing... Wait, uh, is, is that a problem, Brian? <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't had a very good pass rush. In fact, Hilberto, the Raiders are 29th, tied for 29th in the NFL with not one, but they, they don't have one sack. So, I mean, they have, they have two sacks. Wow. And the fact that the Raiders are taking on a team that, again, has very good pass rush. The first, you know, they, they had the Rams who... Yeah, they have a decent guy, some guy named Donald or something like that. I need a quarterback named Donald, <laughs> whatever. He's he's okay. And then week two, uh, Von Miller, I guess he's decent. You know, he he doesn't have any kind of awards or anything. He's never done anything. Well, it gets a little easier. You get Cameron Wake and Robert Quinn, so it's not <laughs> too bad. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, how how tough how tough of a schedule is it been for the the Raiders and and will be? Or do you th- do you feel as if maybe they're more equipped at, at handling this? And the fact that they've done pretty well, you kind of spoke on it already with the the, the linemen that they have. But another daunting task for the Raiders this coming week? You know, first of all, let me say our uh, one of our over-unders, I think it was uh, Raiders sacks uh, <laughs> 31. I, I took the over. It's not looking pretty good right no, now. No, it is not Even looking with good. our guy Tom Spouse is saying, you get two sacks per game, you get it. And so far Jeez. they're getting one per game. So I think we're going to fall short there. But, yeah, it's going to be a grind all year. You know, we, we mentioned how, how tired the D-line for the Raiders was in Mile High and Denver, and I had to go to probably human Miami. That's going to be a, another uh, scenario there. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, but the Dolphins O line is not as, as strong. I didn't have injury there to, for one of the one of the left guards so that you know, they could get to the quarterback. But Ryan Tannehill, as Larry Mee likes to point out, he's yeah. very mobile. He's he used to mobile. play wide receiver oh, he did. in colleges. Larry Mee, Larry has told me uh, numerous <laughs> times this week. Yeah. So it's gonna it's gonna be tough <laughs> to get to the quarterback. But it's, I think it's going to be an ongoing scenario, and, I, and I'm kind of hoping we put this Khalil Mack pass rush thing I, I to did, bed. I, I didn't even bring up Khalil Mack. <laughs> I say, he's in Chicago already. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it's going to be a topic all year, and it's, and it's going to be their, their weakness. It's just kind of get, you know, get used to it. It's their weakness a year ago. So secondary was a problem. It seems like secondary is going to be – I'm being positive again. It's okay. kind of weird. I don't, I don't know who – <laughs> But a year ago, right secondary is kind of the scapegoat, and the scapegoat, and this year is going to be the pass rush. But this year, secondary is doing much better. But so you got to kind of you know pick your spots, but it's, it's going to be like I said a grind. Maybe you're going to keep looking for guys off the street, and maybe these these rookies come in, you know they come in and they do well eventually because you know it's kind of it's it's not fair to kind of assume these rookies are going to do good off oh, the bat. Yeah. PJ Hall you know yeah. already hurt. Arden Keys <laughs> couldn't couldn't catch a breath a week ago. Yeah. But Maurice Hurst got a sack yeah. a week ago, so maybe overall this junior star is doing better. Maybe as Paul Gunther kind of figures out what he has 
it will, you know, pick up, but I, let's just get used to it. It's going to be a problem. All right. So, Michael, how many times, if at all, have you heard the, the name Khalil Mack in any of the press conferences in Oakland? Well, I've heard him be mentioned by those asking questions, but he's not somebody who people who are being interviewed are going to yeah. bring up. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's it come up uh, maybe, if not directly, indirectly. Okay. It was something that was asked Monday by a local columnist here toward mm. John Gruden. Uh, given that we're talking about their lack of pass rush for two straight games, do you, <laughs> regret, was, do you regret trading Khalil Mack? Yeah, how upset was he? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he, you know, he, uh, <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting tired of feeling he needs to explain that trade. He doesn't want to rehash it. I mean, it's week three of the 2018 oh, yeah. season, and – so, yeah, understandably, he's um, grown a little tired of that subject. Yeah. But it's fascinating to see how Paul Gunther, the defensive coordinator, can overcome this clear void in personnel. Yeah. Because something that Gunther had in Cincinnati was a deep pool of defensive linemen who could get after the quarterback. Yeah. Guys like Geno Atkins and Carlos oh, Dunlap. Yeah. These are guys who can, when they have a one-on-one matchup with an offensive lineman, they can they'll win, win it yeah. their fair share of, of time. And when you look at what's going on these past two games, Raiders aren't winning those one-on-one consistently enough. And when you're a 4-3 defense, ideally – your forming rush can get to the quarterback without help of a fifth or sixth rusher. You don't want to have to blitz in order to get home. And unfortunately, too often, the Raiders aren't getting there with their four-man rush. And so Paul Gunther is, even though uh, he's a defensive coordinator in his job title, just as he was for years in Cincinnati, he's going to have to, and I think you've already seen this, he's going to have to essentially just handle his job entirely differently with a totally different approach because it's not simply enough to rush for. Uh, at least that's been the case so far this season. So it's important to monitor uh, as we move forward uh, in terms of how Paul Gunther can overcome where this t- defensive front is. Uh, you credit the Raiders for having added guys like Arden Key and, and P.J. Hall, and you know, who's, of course, hurt, and Mo Hurst uh, in the draft because they sure needed to. Uh, you can't imagine what this problem would look like had they not had those uh, guys. Yeah, it's true. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what Clint McDonald does. He was somebody the Raiders targeted back in March as uh, you know a real important piece to that pass rush. And McDonald played 52 defensive snaps on Sunday, most wow. of any Raiders defensive linemen wow. uh, in the altitude, in that heat, despite having just started practicing with the club on <laughs> Thursday. So uh, three days after he first practices, he leads all defensive linemen in snaps. <laughs> they want to probably get that number down a little bit, but I think he's going to have to be a big part of this thing if Gunther's life is going to get any easier. It almost sounds like Navarro Bowman when he came in onto the team and he ends up leading the team at tackles <laughs> in games and whatnot. Um, wow. So, okay, with all this being said, we've got the game coming up, and we can go ahead and get to uh, – uh, The picks. <laughs> uh, the predictions. Yeah, the picts. So right now, some are we, are we adding a game yet, or not? We're not there yet. No, we're not. We're not adding a game just yet. Um, but however, uh, I think I went first last week, and you went first week one, and Michael gets to go first this week. 
I'm 0-2, you guys are 2-0, I'm going to make up some ground. Just so you guys know, I'm just, I want you to feel good. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I want you guys <laughs> to feel good about yourself. I need Michael confident when he's writing his stories. You know, when you, I, don't need, I don't need that looming over your head when you're out there trying to <laughs> break, a, break a story, Michael. So I'm thinking of you when I make these picks. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. I've been able to sleep really well these past couple weeks. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I still want to... I, I said this last week going into the Broncos game, um, but I still want to get a closer look at the Dolphins. I haven't been able to do that yet. Mm-hmm. I'm so focused on the Raiders, but already given excuses. You, know, you, you like that? You look at the <laughs> you, you look at the scoring differenti- differential of how the Dolphins are two and zero, and it's not like the Rams two and zero. And what I mean by that Uh-oh. is the Dolphins have outscored opponents forty seven to thirty two. To be two and zero, whereas the Rams scored opponents sixty-seven to thirteen. Yeah, hmm. you know they've either been relatively close games and, and they're getting by. And, and you know you credit Adam Gates and the coaching staff and the quarterback for yeah. what they've been able to do. But to me, this isn't some undefeated juggernaut that the Raiders are going to face. <laughs> I think this is more a team that's kind of probably going to be around five hundred by the end of the year. Mm. I'm going to you hear that, Larry? Raiders. He's not buying the Dolphins. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Raiders to win as much as I like Whoa. Some of, some of, as much as I like a number of their pieces on their roster. Um, I like the pass rushers that they have on the edge, uh, but I think Derek Hart can help neutralize that as we've seen thus far. Um, I like what you know Kenny Stills brings as an yeah. offensive weapon. I think he has the potentially of just wrecking this game for the Raiders defense if they can't contain him. Yeah, but um, I, I I also like more probably what I'm seeing happening with the Raiders offense and their coaching staff and Derek Carr, uh, the defense is, is still a concern, but Brian Tannehill is a guy who gets the ball out of his hand quickly anyway. So I don't know how much the pass rush not being there will necessarily affect the game rhythm. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Raiders to win. Let's call it 24 to 17. I think it'll be a good game. Um, maybe, yeah, I was going to say 24-20. Let's say 24-20. I think it'll be a tighter game, uh, but I'm going to give the Raiders the advantage. Man, I don't, I don't know who either you guys are. Gilbert's over here being positive, and Michael's <laughs> picking the Raiders to win on the road. You should catch on, Brian. You're on, too. <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious. Okay, so what you got here, Hilberto? <laughs> I'm sure you can already guess where I was going yeah, with the, all the positive takes today. It won't be like this every week, by the way. I, 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 yes. But, again, we mentioned with Derek Carr and the offense, you know, they're, they're getting closer and closer, and I feel like now, you know, you know, three weeks in, they're going to get it right, less penalties, then the offense is going to be in sync. Obviously, the pass is going to be a problem. Like, it's going to be all year. Uh, the Dolphins do have good uh, wideouts, so the defense could be a problem. So I'm going to go with a shootout. And Ooh, and okay. I think the this is gonna be the, the time you see John Gruden's offense click. It's gonna click. You're gonna get excited. Excited. It's not gonna be 1998. It's gonna be 2028. 2020. They're going to the, the to the future with this offense. <laughs> they're going back to the future with this thing. <laughs> no, they're to the future. They're going yeah back to the future ahead. <laughs> ahead. Okay. <laughs> I forgot which Back to the Future they're going backwards. Yeah, yeah. I think that's two or <laughs> but three. let's go 34-31 Raiders in a whoa, shootout with whoa. the Dolphins. Game of the week. Whoa. Does Jordy Nelson go? I picked Martavis yeah. Bryant. To Touchdowns score a for everybody. Why not? It's Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, Derek Carr. <laughs> touchdowns for everybody. You get a touchdown. You get Seven. a touchdown. Okay, not, I'm not, not getting that crazy, but yeah. A couple of rushing touchdowns. Oh, wow. This guy. Okay. Well, 34-31 to 31 in a shootout, the Raiders. You know. I don't know. Is this the week that I, I need to try to pick up 
Oh, but I, I really, I, I want to pick the, the, the Dolphins just because. Now we're messing with your head because that record. You're not thinking with, with your head. You're no, I am. You're looking at the stats. No, but this time I'm going with my head because I, I also believe that they'll beat Miami in Miami. I think Miami, there's, there's no world I can see Miami going 3-0. and Sorry, Larry. I, I can't see them going three and zero. And the fact, I mean, Tannehill has done okay, but I mean, at some point he's going to come down to earth. Uh, the the Dolphins are going to come down to earth, and I think that the Raiders have improved. They have they've actually improved. So they're going to continue to win the first half, and then actually they're going to win the second half. Yeah, like that. Wow. Yeah. Slow start. Yeah. Second half. Yeah. So um, I think they, they have a, a, a decent start to the game, maybe 10-7 in the first half of the game. But they, they win the second half or, or tie the second half, but they end up winning the game. I go Raiders in this game, final score 28-10. to 10. Whoa, blowout. Yeah, 28-10. Yeah, I'm going blowout. And you know why I say that? I don't think Miami's going to be able to score a bunch of points in this game. You know, I, the Raiders' defense has played okay. I think Miami, they're going to get full of themselves. They're gonna Larry's just, right next to you. <laughs> I know. He's an arm's length of me. He might throw a kick. He's, he's pretty good at little Muay Thai boxing. So, yeah, we got Raiders 28-10 to 10 in this one. So, we're all going Raiders. I'm 0-3. So, that's okay. I can go – or 0-2, excuse me. I'll go 1-2. and two And I'll, I'll keep my distance. I'm kind of like a, a, a sprinter running the 1500 you got to have that kick on the last lap you guys can get out there to the leader and then come back and get that kick long season yeah it's a long season all right michael so you can go ahead and go watch that browns game which i know you're you're igging to to watch the browns and the jets play right i actually am i'm i (laughs) I love the broncos defensive front so uh i'm i'm all there i'm I'm going to turn that TV, TV on right now. All right, here we go. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And just one more time, I have to make sure that everyone knows that you're listening to our Vegas Nation podcast brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal inside of our beautiful RJ Studios, the Vegas Nation. This podcast can be found at ReviewJournal.com, iTunes, and, of course, on our Vegas Nation app. So also, Raider Nation, Vegas Nation, please remember that we have daily Vegas Nation videos at Roku Television and, of course, on Amazon Fire Stick. And lastly, be sure to check out ReviewJournal.com for our written stories written by Michael Gelkin, the Raiders beat writer, NFL writer Hilberto Montano, of course, columnist Ed Graney. Some great work on there. Got to check it out for Hilberto Montano, Michael Gelkin in Alameda, Oakland area, California. I'm Brian Salmon from Vegas Nation. We'll see you next time.